Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We're so grateful to have you with us here today. We had another delightful guest today, and it just so happens to be somebody who's in kind of the Someone to Tell It To family. As many of you know, Angie Dickinson is Someone to Tell It To's chief listening officer, and uh, her daughter is a very talented musician. And we together discerned and thought Annie would be a wonderful guest on today's program. We talked about so many uh, things that we've never really talked about uh, on the podcast before, but they all relate to listening. And particularly in, in this case, as a musician and, and, a, and a person who is discovering new talent and helping other musicians to become better known and to become published and to get contracts to record. Um, Annie Elise is uh, just it was fascinating to talk with her about her experiences and what she believes uh, is important in the world of the arts and in and in music so we hope you'll enjoy this as much as we do and there will be at the end of this kind of a bonus because there's going to be some music that she's going to share from her newest album and um, we know you'll we we know you'll love it because uh, we certainly do so uh, through a life of seeing sounds and hearing color, 21-year-old electronic artist and producer Annie Elise is inspired by a condition she has called synesthesia. Originally, and she's going to talk about that uh, today, and originally a classically trained violinist, Annie's interest in electronic music stems from this neurological condition and even referring to herself as a conductor for color as she creates music that produces colors that she likes to see. After giving a talk about this condition at TEDx Lancaster, Pennsylvania, with over 120,000 views, she has been an active songwriter, producer, engineer, and instrumentalist for a number of different artists and projects. Now, after performing and collaborating with the likes of Lily Williams, Haley Joel, Il Gates, Damonier, Semler, Skyos, and Old Sea Brigade, Annie is excited to continue being a part of the music-making process, whether that be in her role as an A&R for Network Music Group, in a collaborative role as a producer, are for her own award-winning artist project. So we are so happy to have her join us on the podcast today. We use Buzzsprout to create this podcast, and as a small nonprofit team, we really appreciate how easy they make it to get our guests' stories out into the world. With Buzzsprout, you get a beautiful podcast website, audio players to embed into other sites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and so much more. Use the link in the show notes to get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan and to support our show. As the co-founders of Someone to Tell It To, we often find ourselves traveling around between meetings and listening sessions, and we often don't really have time for the little things like grocery shopping. I'm sure many of you have had that experience when at the end of a long workday, you'd rather do anything else than shop for groceries. That's why we're happy to give our listeners the chance to get free delivery on your first Instacart order over $35. You'll get the products you love from your local stores in as fast as one hour. There's nothing quite like sitting down at the end of the day to be present for your family over a home-cooked meal. And takeout just doesn't feel the same. So if you find yourself needing groceries and considering getting takeout instead, get hand-selected products delivered straight to your door. Get free shipping on orders over $35 by using the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Someone to Tell Us Who podcast today. We're really excited to have you here. It's an honor to be here. So there's something exciting happening for you 
tonight as we record this. Would you like to tell us what's happening and why you are in the area in yes, person? Yes, it was really, really last minute, um, but I have been nominated for Central Pennsylvania Music Awards Best Pop Artist, um, which is really funny because I don't know if I would necessarily call the music that I make pop music. Um, so to be nominated as a pop artist is kind of like, ooh, like I feel all fancy. And, and so that award ceremony is happening tonight at the Hershey Theater and I am in town. That's fantastic. You're, you're, you're not saying something that we know that you actually won an award last year. I did. I, I was, it was the same. I was, I was nominated last year. Well, last year made a little more sense because I had actually released music last year. I didn't release anything this year. I did absolutely no campaigning and somehow still got a nomination. So it's um, extra special this year. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I, anytime you get to go to the Hershey Theater, it's a good time. It's a beautiful place. Well, congratulations, and we are, uh, we're wishing you the best tonight. Thank you, thank you. Well, one of the questions that we love to ask all of our guests, uh, anybody who tunes in week in and week out, is just we'd love to ask our guests, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Ooh, where to begin? <laughs> um, so I guess something that's known to the both of you, but maybe not to the people listening, is that uh, my mother, Angela, actually works for the Someone to Tell It To organization. Um, and I like to tell people that as a result, I had a fantastic childhood because my mother is like the best listener on this earth. Um and I like to think that that kind of inspired me to do some sort of career that involved sound. And so as we sit here, I, I work as a musician for my own music, um, making apparently pop music. And um, I also work as an A&R for Network Music Group. A&R stands for Artist and Repertoire. So I'm in charge of finding songs and finding artists and then kind of putting them together and developing that music and encouraging it to become out in the world and, and supported in all sorts of ways. So um, that's kind of the, the two sides of, of what I do as a musician, music, music for myself and then helping others with their musical projects. And so you do a fair amount of travel <laughs> I do. I was just in Texas for the South by Southwest conference, which was really fun. I had never been to Texas before. Um, I was really surprised I got out of the airport and everybody was wearing cowboy hats. I <laughs> thought that that was a myth. I thought they were exaggerating. <laughs> They're not exaggerating. It's real. <laughs> I know. I felt like I needed uh, You're not needed in central Pennsylvania anymore. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think if we wore cowboy hats here, that'd be pretty fun. Well, that's really cool that you got, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. South by Southwest. Did you see some, you know, well-known, famous yeah, people? Yeah, so or? one of the cooler yeah. things that I got to do was hang out with some of the artists I work for at the label. Um, one of my artists, Woods, she came from Australia. And so, like, the chances of us meeting in person would normally be pretty much zero. Um, but I got to attend, like, three of her showcases. We got to hang out in person. We had a nice lunch. And it was just a nice chance to get to not only see these artists that I work with, like, in the wild, I guess, um, but also get to, to form a meaningful connection with them in person. I think that that was really special. So you had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I great. ate pretty much exclusively tacos and um, brisket the whole week. <laughs> did you get a cowboy hat? I didn't. No, I, <laughs> I need to get one. <laughs> so uh, this is actually a very serious question. Um, just to kick things off here, you have a new uh, album that's coming out in May or some new music that's coming out in May that's related to mental health. We'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, so... Um, so as, as I was mentioning before with kind of the music I've put out in the past, um, this coming late April, early May is the one year anniversary since I put out my debut EP, which I titled Breathe In, Breathe Out, um, which features actually the song Fine that I, I wrote in collaboration with, with you all. Um, and so I decided that for the one year anniversary of the, putting the record out, I was going to kind of rework the um, last song off of the EP into something far more orchestral, a little bit, not, not really acoustic, but just completely rework it into kind of the emotions that I felt didn't get through with the song the first time. So it's far more cinematic, far more emotional. And um, I played it for my family last night and they were like, this is really cool. So I, I take that to be a win. <laughs> we can't wait to hear it. That, that, that's, that's, that, that's it's really cool. special to get to kind of revisit emotions within a song um, after they've kind of had some time to settle. Uh, when I initially wrote that song, I was going through kind of the, the grief period of, of the death of my younger cousin, Peter. And in the years since that song has been 
put out, I guess I've become a lot more comfortable around some of those emotions and I'm feel ready, more ready to let them go now than I was a year ago. Was your cousin Peter's passing the, the, the motivation for that song? It was kind of the motivation behind the entire record, I guess. Um, and this is something I haven't really talked about because usually people seem to only care about the music and less about the story and emotions behind it. Um, but the, the title of the record, Breathe In, Breathe Out, came because I, I was struggling so much with grief that I um, started EMDR therapy. I don't know if you're familiar with, with that, but um, essentially they take you through mentally um, to the hardest part of the grief, to where your body is physically like responding. And then they have you breathe in and they have you breathe out and they have you follow. Like um, I followed a metronome and they kind of, the idea is to reroute your brain so that when you think of the event, um, it doesn't actually trigger a physical response. And in, in um, then you're, I don't really know how to say this. Basically your trauma response is much less so than it would have been before. Um, and I found it, I found it helpful, um, helpful to the point where I decided that breathing in and breathing out and <laughs> much like in the grief therapy was was worthy of, of a name of the EP. First, we're just very sorry for that loss. We know that that was really difficult for, for you and for your whole family. And um, we're glad as well that we, you could find a way to, to work through that in something that helped you in a, in a variety of ways. It was very meaningful, for sure, to um, be able to put that all into kind of one collective thought. Uh, I feel like with a song, you don't really get a whole lot of time um, to put forward a lot of emotions. But in the context of five to six songs, there's much more time to kind of tell a story. And that was very meaningful to me. For our listeners, uh, we're obviously very familiar with you and your family and the story and Peter's story. But for our listeners, maybe you could just tell everyone a little bit about Peter and what transpired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Peter is, well, he was my younger cousin. Um, I, I think we were maybe four years apart. I think it was four years. Um, and Peter was born with, uh, a missing heart chamber, a hypoplastic left heart syndrome, I believe it is called. Um, the doctors told us that he would have two years to live and we got a whole 17 years with him, which was fantastic. Um, yeah, we miss him and we love him very much. Yeah. You yourself live with a condition. <laughs> that you have talked about. You've mm -hmm. actually done a TEDx talk about it. That is correct. <laughs> Would you share that with our listeners and our viewers about what you live with, what it means, and, and what you shared yeah. in your talk? So um, I believe the condition you're referring to is, is synesthesia, um, yes. which is um, kind of a, a cross route wiring of, of the senses. And for myself, that is sound and color. So when I hear a sound, I will physically see a color in space, um, which makes music and talking to people a very, uh, beautiful experience in more ways than just one. Um, yeah. So your Ted talk apparently blew up because it <laughs> has like it over a hundred thousand listens. It did. When I was, 15, I discovered that I had this condition. And um, when the opportunity came to give a TEDx talk, I decided that it would be a really great way to talk about listening to all sides of a story and kind of taking some time to understand people on a deeper level than just surface, um, which I believe is kind of scratching the surface of compassionate listening. Um, but just in the context of, of listening with, with, synesthesia or trying to understand another person's perspective um even if you don't understand it yourself like clearly nobody else in that audience was seeing sounds and hearing colors but um but it was a cool opportunity to get to explain kind of the way that i got to perceive those things how is that manifesting itself right now as you're as you're speaking are you oh right now <laughs> uh right now there's kind of like a purple cloud and this uh left lower thing as i'm speaking that's like my voice color yours is dark red and yours is like dark red orangey blue um okay yeah <laughs> go with that <laughs> it's it's all good it's all all good things um but yeah it's kind of like just a little cloud around you um yeah well what do those colors mean? Do they, uh, the significance of the, of the colors? 
Um, so in the context of music, they they end up meaning something. Um, but in the context of like voice colors, people ask me all the time if it's like seeing auras or if I'm able to like see into your soul. That's that's not what it is at all. Um, I believe it's just um, a kind of a sensation uh, that when I am like hearing your voice, that's what my brain kind of sees. That's kind of the connection that happens. It doesn't really mean anything deeper than that. Um, but yeah, in, in the sense of music though, sometimes I'll see like a different color for pitch or I'll see a different color for tone. Um, but when I talk to people, voice colors are just that voice colors. <laughs> when did you first realize you had this, this condition, this? Yeah, I, I realized for the first time when I was 15, um, my choir teacher was giving us a, a singing test, I guess, to, to place us into choirs for the year. And um, she asked me at the end what color I thought my voice was. And I answered purple because that was so obvious to me. And she was like, I meant like tone color, like bright or rich or full or something. And and I, <laughs> I just answered purple. So that was apparently not normal. And her look told me that that was not normal. And so I went home and told my parents and they were like, yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> and so through, through lots of talking, we discovered about this, this really cool neurological condition called synesthesia, which it turns out I have. Is purple your color? Purple is my color. Yes. <laughs> um, the purple dye in my hair is, is fading, but for a while my hair was, was purple to match. <laughs> is that, is that why? That you, is absolutely why. You, why, why yes. you chose purple. <laughs> awesome. I, I decided <laughs> I needed to become the color. <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, you know, heading into this episode, we had sent you just a couple of questions as we do with all of our guests a few days before. And one of the questions I know that you highlighted that you loved this question, and we certainly wanted to ask you today is just, as you know, better than anybody, your mom being uh, someone to tell these chief listening officer, she helped um, significantly. So creating our, our training program, our compassionate listening training modules, uh, six modules uh, for those who are listening and aren't as familiar, we'll just run through them real quick, but then we'd love for you just to talk about how you see those manifesting in your job. Uh, the first is just starting with a belief, believing that everyone has a story to tell that needs to be told and that they're worthy of being heard. Creating kind of the space so that people feel comfortable and safe to tell their stories. Asking good questions, uh, listening intentionally, being fully engaged in the person in front of you, uh, reaching for your tools of empathy and compassion. And then lastly, is just taking time for self-care. So I don't know how exactly you would like to answer that question, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll just kind of leave it up to you. Yeah. So um, I love this question because I think that it can expand into many different parts of the creative industry. Um, one of which I, I work in is obviously, as I mentioned before, A&R, um, doing kind of artist development. And so I, I work with a lot of artists that are just starting out on kind of their artistic projects. They're still trying to figure out who they are and what exactly they want to share with the world, um, trying to build like a team around them and ultimately just having the goal of getting their music heard by people who will resonate with it. Um, and my job as an A&R is to kind of lead that, to kind of be the go-between between the artist and the label. And so my job requires a lot of listening, not just to the music, but also to the artist, what they want, what they need, maybe what what their project wants to become that they themselves haven't figured out yet. So it's a, it's a lot of listening between the lines in there too. Um, so I guess when I when I first sit down with an artist to have this conversation, firstly, we we want to kind of pin down what their goals are. Um, maybe not necessarily a, a big goal, like a, an actual tangible number goal. Like maybe instead of having your goal be a million monthly listeners on Spotify, your goal is something like, I want to put out a record that feels so honest and authentic to myself, where I want to tell this story in a way. And we take that goal and we say, that is fantastic. And we would like to support that. Um, and so that's usually the first conversation that we have is trying to kind of pin down some artistic goals. Um, and that is very meaningful to both the artists and also to me. I, I love learning about the stories that the artists are, are sharing. Um, so I, I guess what are some beliefs that, that you guys will, um, will start with when, when you are listening? Well, one of the foundational beliefs that someone to tell to is just that everybody is someone uh, that is always where we begin. In fact, we gave a presentation yesterday at my alma mater, alma mater, Maasai University, and someone came up to us afterwards, and he he and we we didn't even get into module one a whole lot. We actually <laughs> focused our attention on creating the space, but we I just quickly 
stated that we always start with the belief when it comes to good listening. And he came up to, to us afterwards and he just, I, he's like, I need you to come and present to our group around that. And we believe that one reason why people do not listen well to one another, which is pretty rampant, that we, <laughs> people don't listen well, it's because they don't necessarily regard one another as, as people of worth and value. And that's, we, we, we aim to change that and to make a difference. And do you find that to be the case in the, in the music industry? That, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel sometimes what I see is when artists come in and they're just starting their project, sometimes what they need is a little belief from, from somebody outside that their project is, deserves to be listened to. Um, I, and, and I guess that when we talk about like listening two by two versus, you know, sharing your music with a much wider audience, um, it's kind of cool that the same listening principles apply that, that we're seeing in today's like market. Um, I think that people are genuinely just searching for a connection. And I think that artists are genuinely searching for some sort of purpose and, and meaning and that starting with the belief that the music is good and that the person is talented and, and that the music is worth listening to and worth supporting goes a very, very long way towards a successful project. And, and the people you, that you, whom, with whom you are meeting, uh, they're looking for validation. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. We, we always like to say as musicians that we aren't, but we are 1000% looking for validation. It is so hard to put out such a large part of yourself for public critique, critique all the time um, and to sometimes receive almost nothing back um, that you can see or feel is really hard. It takes a very big toll. Um, and so I think that, yeah, starting, starting with a belief in, in my line of work is sometimes the most important part to being a good partner as a label, to being a, a good um, catalyst for, for a project taking off. Um, yeah, it's very important. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. On that note, we'd like to just zero in on just the idea of support. What does support look like for a musician? I know we were fortunate to come and hear you play at a private club in New York City. Yes, that was one of the moments I felt the most supported was um, that that little show I played in in the club in New York City and and had you guys. That was just like the best night ever. Yeah, it was so much fun. I'm so glad you enjoyed it as much as I did. (laughs) It was wonderful. Yeah. that that was as i mentioned that's like one of the times i felt the most supported was having just a crowd of people show up specifically to come hear me play meant absolutely the world um so i i know that making connections with the artists that you're listening to is one of the things that we all as artists and the artists that i work with all want um they want to play a show and have people there just to see them they they want to put out a record and have it be somebody's new favorite song or um, use it in a video or I, I worked with an artist recently where their song ended up being used in somebody's wedding video and that just like it mm. meant so much or you, you get like somebody tattoos their lyrics on. like it's just something that is a deeper connection than just you know listening to a song because it's cool it's you're listening to it because you have an emotional connection with not only the song but also with the artist and and that's really that's really the support that that we crave as artists is 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 that connection. Yeah, I, I was really excited to ask you this question just about like the writing process. Um, I I know this quote I've always connected with is by Ernest Hemingway, who once said that there's nothing to writing, all you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit extreme, but uh, you know what about so- songwriting and how does hum- Hemingway's statement apply? Well, I think that that the quote while extreme does a great job of of hitting home the part that writing and and putting this kind of your feelings out for the world to see is it can be harmful to yourself it can Mm -hmm. almost feel like um it can be painful 
it, it can be kind of bad for you in the long run if you don't take care of yourself. It, it's a very, very, I don't know, intense process. Um, I would say that songwriting is, it's the same as writing, I guess, except with songwriting, you're, you're writing about personal experiences all the time and you're faced with rejection on a daily basis. Even if it's yourself, you know, when you go in the process of editing a song, like, or having somebody else listen to your song for critique or opinion or whatever, like they're making a judgment, not only about the song, but about your life experiences almost. And, and that can, it can feel very personal. Um, and so I, I think not only do we as songwriters sit down at a typewriter and, and bleed, but then we, uh, I don't know, we get rocks pelted at us afterwards. Yeah, and <laughs> and then you bleed all the more. Yes. Yeah, and you bleed right? all the more from the rocks and, and there's yeah. very little time for healing because in this, in this, um, industry, the world just moves so fast and then you're on to bleeding out for the next song and more rocks pelted at you. And, and, um, I, that again, it sounds very extreme, but I know that, um, through my own writing processes, I've I've definitely felt that way. And w going back to starting with with a belief and and having a support system, um, I have found that writing music for myself, not like deciding that this is what I want to put out, this is what I want to say, and I'm going to put it out because I want to, not necessarily because I need support or validation that has been one of the most freeing things that I have found, um, for my, for my own music. Yeah. And when I think about that quote as writers ourselves, I've, I would actually replace the word bleed with sweat because there have been instances where I remember writing a specific story and in our first two books where I was, as I'm typing, I'm sweating because it's so, you're so engaged in what you're, you're communicating and it's just, it's who you are. Um, sometimes the first version doesn't always make it into the book, but I think it's a good place to start. It's just, it's real. It's authentic. I agree. It's vulnerable. Genuine, um, raw <laughs> interactions. I kind of, these are just emotions that you're spilling out of yourself onto the paper. And I, I think that that sometimes lays the groundwork for a very meaningful connection with the people that you're trying to get these things to reach. Yeah. I remember in our first book, someone to tell you sharing life's journey. I wrote a story that was first written in my journal. I, I journal fairly, fairly regularly and it was almost verbatim in the story. And I talked about my, I've, and those who tune in consistently know that I always have a fear of public speaking and it's just, it's not always natural for me. And, um, and yet I do it all the time, which is interesting. And uh, I described this one uh, scene where I was uh, communicating at a church and I had to build up the courage uh, to, to get up on stage that morning and to speak. And uh, just describing what that process was like, the, the courage that it took for me just to get up there and do it. Um, and I, I remember writing that story and as I was like, you know, writing it in my journal, just like sweating and being just truly myself and authentic and putting it out there, not expecting anybody to ever read it. But then I shared it with some people and they're like, this needs to be in your book. So I remember putting it out there and I'm proud that it, it is who I am. So and I, I'm comfortable and confident with just putting my story out there. So even if it, even if it, yeah, even if it doesn't always, you know, make the first, if your first version isn't the final version, it's still important to tell our stories. Well, anything that's so personal, can be really frightening, you know, to share and, and so vulnerable, but, but we absolutely believe that it's, it is those stories, those, those interactions that, that people have those experiences that we think speak most to people. It's the most risky, uh, but, but it's the most satisfying and we think helpful. Uh, so that people know ultimately that they're not alone in their own struggles, in their own, you know, their own frustrations, their own fears, whatever it may be. I agree. Um, there's a saying that art is how we make sense of ourselves and the world yeah. around us. And I think that that's definitely the purpose of why we as musicians and as a person who works with a lot of musicians, um, that's what we aim to do. How do you feel about the fact, or do you feel, so let me ask you this question first, do you feel that the arts are often diminished as not as important, not as significant. And if that's the case, you know, how does that make you feel? And how can you change that perception and that belief? 
Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, well, I'll start by telling you a little bit of a story, I guess. Um, first of all, yes, I absolutely believe that the arts kind of are, are being diminished in their importance. And the time when I first noticed it was when I was in high school and I was starting to give violin lessons for the first time. Um, now, when you play an instrument in school, it's... Um, it can be it can be very intense. <laughs> you know, you're learning classical music, music from hundreds of years ago that can be very hard for like a fourth grader to connect with um, beyond the fact that they want to do it well and they want to make people happy, I guess. Um, and so the joy, I feel like I was seeing it being taken out of some of these these younger kids because they just couldn't connect with it. They loved the instrument, but but the way that they were playing it wasn't necessarily connecting with with what they wanted to do or something that was meaningful to them. Um, and so when I started teaching violin lessons, I would always ask the kids, I'd say, what do you want to play? And they would come to me with all sorts of things. I, I had some students say that they wanted to learn the classical music. I had some say that they, they wanted to play a Disney song or they wanted to just play Christmas songs. And so what I did is I would arrange the songs that they had picked for them. And oh my goodness, they got so much more engaged in their lessons. They were like, they, they practiced, they like, they were excited about their instrument. And, and then they would always ask, well, what's next? Like, I, I, now that I play this song, can, can I play this song? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Like that's what music is for. It's for expressing yourself and, and finding what, what you want to say and what you want to do and, and doing it in a way that is meaningful and makes sense to you. Um, and I, I was surprised that that was not how most people teach instrument lessons to, to young kids. I, I was very surprised by that. Um, I know my, my dad is a music educator and he focuses in his classes a lot on music appreciation, um, because I feel like that is something that kind of, we, we forget about in music education, that it's not just about learning to read the notes and, and know the rhythms and know every composer of the 1700s, but it's also about how do you listen to lyrics? How do you know what an artist is listening to how are they making sense of like this current public issue and what sort of like cultural things would be more helpful to understanding this artist in the song and and that's something we don't really think about um when we think of the term like music education or or the arts or or any of that and um yeah i, I i've gone off track of the original question but <laughs> um the, just that i i believe that the arts are sometimes diminished to what can you do with this thing that will make you look great and fancy and um, be super impressive and not how are you using the arts to actually express what makes you you, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Does thank you for sharing that. Just two weeks ago, uh, my, my nine-year-old grandson came to uh, spend the night um, and he brought his cello with him, which he has just, this is his first year. He's in third grade, Aww. his first year learning, learning the cello. And he, br he brought it and was so proud to, and he wanted to know, can I give you, can I give you a concert? Aww. And he wrote a playlist, you know, seven songs that, that he played. Um, some of which they had different titles than, than maybe what the song actually sounded like, <laughs> but actually most of them were recognizable tunes mm -hmm. and he, they weren't without, you know, some errant notes, oh, but, but um, of course that's not but, the point. <laughs> but, you got to but, see but a concert did. just for you. It was beautiful. And we were so proud of him and, and what it did with his then younger, his six year old brother, he, who's not taking any music lessons <laughs> yet or, or has learned how to play anything, but we have a piano and he sat down with the piano, which is out of tune. <laughs> and, um, he, he, he wanted to play along with his brother and, Aww. and make, you know, accompaniment uh, with, with, with his brother as his brother was playing. And it was just the, it was just the most, it was sweetest, most charming, most uh, just wonderful thing that to see these, these two boys wanting to, um, uh, wanting to impress their, their papa and their <laughs> nana, um, about how they could play music and they wanted us to, to be proud of them. And that was just really touching, actually. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question off of that? Sure. I, I think it's an incredible story, but it's a question actually for you, Annie, that I wanted to ask, and I think it directly relates, is how does music just kind of take us to a better place? Yeah. I mean, there's there's blogs that we've written about, I think, and Michael probably tell the story better than I can, but I think um, somebody who had a piano in the middle of 
one of the parks in New York City, right? Who Washington Square Park in the yeah, village? Ah, uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I think I've I think I've heard about this. Well, New York, um, uh, several summers ago. I'm I'm not sure if it's happened s- since the pandemic, uh, you know, occurred. But before that, there were I know, read a number of articles of that that the city or an organization, I think an arts organization, a nonprofit, set up pianos throughout the city on sidewalks and in parks and places that anybody could come anytime and just sit down and play. And some of the stories that you heard and some of the videos that I, I got to see, you know, of, of people sitting down and playing the most incredible pieces, just without music, usually, mm-hmm. you know, in front of them, but from memory and how charming that was. And I had the opportunity of seeing one person play in Greenwich, in, in, in the village, you know, in Washington Square Park. And it was mesmerizing. And the crowds of people that who would surround the piano um, was just really impressive. And, and it just, you know, in a, you know what New York is like in the busy, <laughs> loudness, very, very chaotic busy. hustle and bustle, everyone walking fast to see people actually stop and enjoy and take it in and, and bring some often calm to the very busyness and sometimes chaoticness and noisiness of their day was just really neat to see. I think you've just answered the question. Okay. <laughs> I think, I think that's exactly what, what music does is it, it, it plays on our emotions, whatever those may be. And anything profound enough, I think, to get you to stop and pay attention. Um, it, even, you know, um, the saying stop and smell the roses <laughs> stop and listen to the piano um yeah. that's meaningful i think that we need that in in our lives especially as you know we're in an age where social media and technology just completely is is running everything um that to have those moments where we are kind of guided to feel emotions i think that is exactly the point of of music and i think that that's what we strive for as as artists um so I, I think that's how music is is taking us to to a better place is by um, by fulfilling that emotional need. Yeah, letting people feel what they need to feel. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think many people believe that music is kind of a universal language that transcends language, you know, verbal <laughs> language that people don't understand, but yet music can bring people together, help people feel many of the same emotions at the same time or same feelings, the same feelings, whatever they may be. Absolutely. Can, we, we just, can you say more about that? Yeah. Anyway. I was just going to say that we, we just celebrated national piano day. It was actually yesterday. Oh, um, right. We and, didn't know that. <laughs> uh, it's the 88th day of the year and the piano has 88 keys. So that's oh, wow. why yesterday well, that's is cool. international piano day. And um, at network, we did a really cool activation with um, the Amazon radio station amp. And we had a whole bunch of artists from the label kind of work their songs into piano versions we had artists from every genre like bigger artists smaller artists ambient artists pop artists but then to hear kind of all of this condensed into one piano version even they're taking vocal songs taking out the vocals and replacing it with the melody like at at the end of the day that's it's all just music and and it doesn't even need it doesn't need words it doesn't even need different instrumentation just hearing all of these songs on one straight playlist and and hearing the artists talk about kind of what the piano version of the songs means to them i i found it very powerful um and i think that's beautiful that the power of a song can transcend beyond its original production beyond even the original singer it's a song is a song and that's that's such a cool thing that 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 can grow and shift and change over time but it's still the exact same song and and you put it out in the universe and whatever other people choose to take from that is is their own journey we know that your parents are extremely compassionate people <laughs> uh, they're actively involved in someone to tell to uh, and we feel so fortunate to have both of them on our team here uh, they like all of us have been on a journey and could share could you just share a little bit about what it's been like to see your parents growing? There's a philosopher and a theologian that we follow actively who said that as parents, the greatest gift we can give our children is to always be growing up ourselves. Yeah, I, I love that. And and to be honest, I think one of the things that I've appreciated most, um, 
in life is actually getting to see my parents continue to grow. Um, I, I've seen them just blossom into people that they didn't realize that they were, find inner strength and confidence in doing things that they love and things that they find meaningful. And um, even though they maybe not have not found that work in maybe their earlier years or earlier on in their careers, they're finding it now and they're finding such joy with that. And I don't know, it makes me really happy. I, I remember having a conversation with, with my mom over the pandemic about... Um, just kind of talking about, I was talking about what I was doing and how much I loved it. And, and she was talking about what she was doing with someone to tell to and how much she loved it. And we just had this moment where we were like, yeah, we love what we're doing. And, and never before have we had that conversation. The prior conversation was about how much we hated what we were doing. So it was a really nice change to, to be able to find that, um, you know, meaningful work can, can really make life better. (laughs) On that note, like I, I was also excited to ask this question. I mean, just a simple question of what, what do you love? Um, one of the poets that we quote often, and I'm throwing in a lot of quotes today, but it's from Maya Angelou, who always said that you can only become truly accomplished at something you love. Don't make money your goal. Instead, pursue the things you love doing, then do them so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. <laughs> So what, what do you love, Annie? Ooh, I, I guess in my work, what I love is being a part of that musical journey in whatever way that might be, whether it be my own music, whether it be producing for somebody else, or even simply adding some storytelling in terms of like string arrangements. I just love being a part of the story of the song <laughs> and, and kind of adding whatever I feel that I can add that is meaningful. I really love doing that. And I, I think that's part of the reason why I love doing a is, is that the journey of being a part of a song, while it's not necessarily seen or heard at the end, it's a really fun journey. And I, I love having those conversations with artists and I, I love being a part of the story of how records come to be. And I, I guess that's what it is. I, at the core of it all, I think what I love is storytelling, um, even if that be non-verbally. <laughs> I think storytelling is one of our favorite things to do mm-hmm. as well, because stories, however they're told, whether it's musically, you know, artistically in any way or, or, or simply verbally, can make such an impact on other people's lives. And, and knowing stories and sharing stories in whatever way we do it can touch people's hearts and influence them, inspire them, calm them, mm-hmm. encourage them um, that, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's almost nothing better. Um, so I got one more yeah. fun question that I want to ask all three of us to answer. Ooh, fun. What's our favorite musical moment? Like ever? Ever. Oh, wow. So it's a lot of years of history. <laughs> um, hold on. I need to think about that. I one. can answer first. Yeah, so yes, you guys go right ahead. Please do, because you've thought yeah. about this. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I think when I was in high school, let's see. No, it was, I was a first, uh, first year student in college and I came home on break. Uh, I grew up in Northern New Jersey, just about 10 miles outside New York city. And, uh, in obviously September 11th occurred in 2001, uh, that was a really difficult time for our community because yeah. we lost a lot of people from our town uh, in the, the the World Trade Center attack. And um, a couple weeks after, I had tickets to go see my, one of my favorite bands, U2, at Madison Square Garden. U2, yeah. And uh, I'd never seen them before. Always wanted to see them. And we bought the tickets like a year in advance. And obviously, we had no idea what was going to occur. Yeah. But uh, we were curious to see if they would actually go through with the concert or not, because there were a lot of events, especially in New York City, that were canceling. And they decided, I think it was in November, that they were going to go through with the concert. Um, So it was just the most profound experience, because if you remember, you probably don't remember, this is a long time ago, but they had um, a stage, like a giant heart. And I forget, it was like... I don't remember the name of the tour that they were on, but they had this giant heart and Bono and the crew, they would kind of run out around the heart and they had people inside the heart. But then um, they actually had a lot of firefighters and police officers and family members come up on stage and play 
instruments who had lost loved ones in September 11 in the attacks. And then they scrolled. If, if you ever heard of the name the, the song pride in the name of love. Yes. That's a great song. They played that song and they had the names of all the people who had died scrolling on the screen. Wow. It was like one of the most profound experiences of my life. That like, sounds incredibly profound. I even as I reflect on it right now, it still makes the hairs stand up <laughs> and it was just, it was communal grief essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody was crying and grieving together that night, but it was so healing at the same time. So for me, that, that moment it was when time stood still for a couple <laughs> hours. Wow. That's really yeah. special. I'm yeah. really glad that you got to experience that power of, of the emotional aspect of music. I think that's what it's all about at the end mm-hmm. of the day. The first thing that came to mind was a very personal experience um, when I got out of graduate school, um, I, I became a pastor in a, in a, in a, in a church and I was in that parish for nine years. And on my last Sunday, uh, of that church before I moved to you know, the, the next place I went in Hershey, Pennsylvania, where I live now, um, during a service in which I was saying goodbye to this, this people who have came to love very much. Um, they surprised me, and I don't like being surprised <laughs> publicly, but they surprised me with a local singer who came and in the middle of the service got up and went to the piano and sat down and played and sang. She was an excellent, I, I'd seen her before, uh, going to see her perform, and she was just she wasn't famous, but she was just really good. And she sat down at the piano and played this song specifically for me. Wow. And it was Bob Dylan's Forever Young. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I I was never so touched. And I that is now one of my I, I have a lot of favorite songs, but it's absolutely one of my favorite songs. And, and I, I can sometimes listen to that song over and over and over again. Um, and I, I especially like um, Joan Baez, uh, who, who also sings it, like that, her version very, very much, because it reminds me of the, because it's a woman, mm-hmm. it reminds me of the woman who sang that for me. Wow. And um, so that will always be a moment, uh, my, probably my very f- most personal favorite musical moment, because I love the words to it. And, and my goal is always to remain in spirit forever young. Wow. Wow, those are both beautiful. And I, I've been struggling here as you've been talking to to come up with one. But um, I, I think as a listener, one of my favorite musical moments um, in, in Boston, Boston's a cool city because artists, as they tour, they always make a stop in Boston. And so one day last year, we um, one of the artists that we work with on the label is, is Simmel. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Simmel, but I guarantee you've probably heard some of Simmel's songs before. Mm-hmm. And Brian, that's um, Simmel's actual, actual name, is, is a really, really nice guy. And he came through on the tour that he called the Sacred Spaces Tour, um, where he played a whole bunch of big churches just at night, um, a stripped-down acoustic set of his songs about grief and loss and love. And... It was one of the most wonderful journeys and experiences I have ever experienced in a concert, getting to sit in a church pew and hearing him sing and just kind of telling the stories about these songs and how they came to be. And and it really felt like um, those songs came alive in, in the sacred spaces. And, uh, you know, he had the big natural reverb of, of the space and and the, the moonlight's like coming through the stained glass. And it was, it was really, really mm. something. Um, and afterwards I got to talk with, with Brian a little bit. Um, and it was so funny because the concert was so profound and then you meet Brian and you'd find out he's just a goofball. He's just Mm -hmm. a dad, um, who loves making music. And, and it was, it was very special. I feel like that was one of the displays to me of what being an artist and guiding emotions is really all about, that you can have that big experience and then immediately shift and, and just be just be happy and, and fun to be around. So that was, that was a really special moment for me was getting to see that concert. Yeah. Thanks for asking that 
that question. That yeah, that was fun. That came, out of, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but I'm good at that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you are, and I, that with this pretty special moment here. Yeah, for all, I think for all of us. Well, Amy, this has been delightful. Thank you. We know it was somewhat last minute, but um, very articulate. And you thank are. you for just giving you us are. a glimpse glimpse into who you are and your story. And we just wish you well. Thank you for this conversation. This was very meaningful to me. We felt privileged to be able to talk with Annie today and, and just have her share from her perspective. Um, in fact, first of all, she's the youngest person we've had on the podcast so far, but someone who already in her 21 year life has just made an impact on the music industry and is award winning. And as we, as we mentioned earlier, as we recorded this episode, she is up for uh, a music award uh, later today. Um, an award that she won last year, and, and it's very potentially she is uh, going to be winning again. And we're excited for her, proud of her for the accomplishments that she has. And we're also so glad that she shared her own music and this new recording with us today that we hope you will enjoy because um, this was a song that was written for someone to tell it to. So we just encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about Annie Elise, just go to Annie Elise on Spotify or wherever you can find music on, on your streaming services, because we absolutely love her music. And there's uh, just so much behind the music that she has created, as you heard today. So thank you for joining us on the Someone to Tell To podcast today. And we look forward to being together again soon until we listen again. Between us hang so gently